I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it should be on page 958, 958. As we look at this passage, it's going to be in connection to the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, which we've been working through. And uh, this Lord today in the Catechism deals with Christ's phrase or his statement regarding the Lord's Supper when he says, this is my body and this is my blood. What does Jesus mean when he says this? So our second sermon is going to be more resurrection focused, uh, even though as we think about the Lord's Supper, we do recognize that we partake not of a dead Christ, but of a living Christ. And because he is alive, it's those who participate in Christ, those who receive him, that also find life. So the Lord's Supper, too, uh, testifies to the fact that Christ is alive and risen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read verses uh, 23 through 26. This is the holy and inspired word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So far from God's holy word. It's an interesting phrase just to draw your attention to before we turn to the catechism. To proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One who is alive is the one who comes, right? The one, uh, if somebody is dead, right, they're lifeless. They have no activity to them. But the Apostle Paul is reminding us as we look to the crucified Lord, even in the supper, that he is not one who remained in the grave, but one who is alive forevermore. So that if we participate in him and receive him, then we too find life. So just a, a powerful, interesting phrase to think about. We're going to turn now to uh, the catechism in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, Lord's Day 29. It's on page 885. There's two questions there. I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answers. And um, these uh, answers are in many ways a kind of commentary on Jesus' words. Again, this is my body and this is my blood. So question 78. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood... And does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things. So too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread his body, and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And Paul used the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, 
He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. So far from our catechism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are many realities to the Christian life that are unseen. In fact, most of the most, uh, the most significant realities to the Christian life are, in fact, unseen. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, where he says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Then a few verses later, the Apostle Paul will give these kind of marching orders to the church, to us today, and saying that we are a people who walk not by sight, but by faith. The Christian life is one that is lived by faith. Hebrews chapter, one, uh, chapter 11 verse 1 also tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, uh, the conviction of things not seen. So the Christian life today is one that is primarily lived, principally lived, by faith. And that means looking to the things that are unseen. When you say, well, how do I look to the things that are unseen? Well, you look, in a sense, with your ears. As you hear what God has said, and though I do not see it with my eyes, yet I believe it, and I see it by faith. Because I trust that what God has said is true, faithful, reliable. And, and therefore, what he has said, he will bring to pass. And so if you are a Christian, right, and we as a body here are a people who are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that's hard, right? It's difficult at times. And the things of this world often draw our attention to no longer walk by faith, but rather to walk according to what we see, which at times can be very despairing, and at times can be very uh, difficult, and at times can lead us to become fearful and afraid and to doubt. It's, it's very common. If that's you today and you've experienced that, then you're not alone, right? There's a reason that God um, gives us various means that our faith might be strengthened because it's difficult and it's hard today to walk by faith and not by sight. And so one of the means that God has given to us is not only the preached word, right? We hear God's word preached and we're reminded of these unseen realities. That Christ, who died some 2,000 years ago, that his blood was efficacious, was powerful to forgive me of all of my sins because I believed upon him. That his spirit has been poured out upon his church, that we have new life, that we might pursue holiness and godliness. And then we have a great future, one of glory that awaits us, right? These are the great unseen realities that the Christian possesses. And so we then look to our God and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, strengthen my faith. And so again, the means of grace include... First and foremost, the preached word coming to our ears, right? We, we walk by faith, in a sense, by our ears, hearing what God has said. But God, because of his great love for us and his care for us and his fatherly, tenderly care and love for us, he has given us a second means of grace, the Lord's Supper and baptism, sacraments he has given to us. 
And the sacraments, including the Lord's Supper, which we'll partake of in the second service after the preached word, um, does not add to the word that's preached. There's nothing contained in the Lord's Supper that, that, that gives more than what we find in God's word. But what the Lord's Supper does and baptism does is it takes that preached word and makes it visible. And it assures us, right, God, God, why, you know, why does God make his preached word visible for us? Well, to assure us, to strengthen our faith, to confirm our sense of walking by faith and not by sight. So that those, those unseen realities that I, that I belong to Christ, that I have life in Christ, that I have been received by Christ and he has received me, is pictured, made visible for us in the Lord's Supper. And so it's very significant for us then to, to, to recognize first the sacraments point to the gracious fatherly care of God. And then as we receive those, to know that the gospel that I've heard preached is now before me made visible. So that just as surely as I feel the bread in my hand and as surely as I can smell the bread and as surely as I can taste it, so surely I have been received and I am nourished by Christ unto eternal life. That's why God gives us these means of grace. And so the question becomes, right, because these are powerful things that the Lord gives us, but the question becomes, well, okay, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we receive the Lord's Supper, do the bread and the wine themselves become the body and blood of Christ? Right? Is the bread and the wine themselves transforms? Is, is that what the Lord is proclaiming? Well, the first question we had read in the, Lord's, in the Heidelberg Catechism is to say no. And the reason why the Lord, uh, this Lord's Day uh, deals with this question is, of course, to um, counter the Roman Catholic position regarding the Mass. Now, the next Lord's Day is going to also speak about the Mass and how we reject that and how the Lord's Supper is not that. Um, But the reason that that we have to make this first denial that the bread and the wine do not become in themselves the body and the blood of Christ is, again, because of uh, what the Roman Catholic Church had begun to teach. If I give just some of the historical context, you might say, well, where do they get this language from? Where do they get this idea from that the body and the blood become the actual body and blood of Christ? Well, the way in which they can argue for this is by imposing upon the scriptures a foreign philosophical concept. So they take this philosophical concept drawn specifically from Aristotle and they impose it upon Jesus' words, this is my body. Because what Aristotle had taught, and hopefully this is, this is clear, but what Aristotle had taught is that everything has both um, its accidents, by which you, know, you look at the thing and it has a certain appearance to it, but you can remove them and it remains um, the same. So it has accidents and it has substance. And so it says, what they would say then is that as we come to the bread and the wine, the accidents remain the same, right? It looks like bread, it still tastes like bread, the, the wine still tastes and looks like wine. But the substance of it has changed into the very body and blood of Christ. You might say, well, it's kind of confusing. Well, that's what happens when you impose a foreign uh, philosophical concept onto the scriptures. You take what's clear and simple, and you end up complicating the matter. And so they would say that the body and the blood become, um, or the bread and the wine become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But rather than imposing a philosophical concept foreign to the scriptures upon Jesus' words, we take Jesus' words um, as sacramental. 
that the bread and the wine instead remain bread and wine, but they are signs pointing to an unseen spiritual reality. Sacraments are signs and seals of unseen spiritual realities. And so, while they do not become bread and wine, they signify like a sign, they point to and are connected to an unseen spiritual reality. This is what the catechism means when it says that even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Right, so a sacrament, again, is a sign and a seal, a visible sign and a seal that points to an unseen, invisible spiritual reality. And so, because it points to it, it's not, it's not disconnected, but it's, it's, it's strongly connected to it. So that, for example, in our form that we use to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it uses this language. It says this, that while remaining bread and wine, these sacred elements nevertheless become so united to the reality they signify that we do not doubt, but joyfully believe that we receive in this meal by the Spirit through faith nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we partake of Christ, not carnally, as some older theologians would say, simply by the bread and the wine becoming the body and blood of Christ, so we partake of him through our mouth, but rather we partake of him by the Spirit through faith. Faith is, in a sense, the mouth of the soul by which we receive Christ, and by receiving Christ, we receive in him eternal life. And so the catechism begins, again, with this first denial. But secondly, it moves in then to a positive statement regarding the Lord's Supper, right? So the bread and the wine remain bread and wine. They signify and are so united to the reality, namely Christ's body and blood, partaking of him. But then the question becomes, well, why then does Christ give us this sacrament? Why does Christ so tie the sacrament and the elements to these unseen spiritual realities? Well, there's two reasons that Christ gives and the catechism highlights for us. First, it's to teach us. First, there's a teaching element to it, right? It says that he wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, right? So our own lives, we we know this every day. We wake up and at some point we have to have food in our bodies to sustain our temporal life. Otherwise, we grow um, malnourished and our bodies wither away and will ultimately die, right? We need nourishment for our physical bodies. And that's meant to be a picture, a pattern of our spiritual life as well that we also need to be nourished spiritually. So that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too Christ's crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. Right? If you receive Christ by faith, Christ, again, doesn't just deliver his salvation from far away, right? He doesn't mail you the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't mail you new life. But rather, he comes and gives himself to you. He brings you into union with him. He brings you into fellowship with him. And by partaking of him, because he is not one who has remained in the grave, but one who is alive forevermore and, has, and holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades, because we partake of him, our souls are not nourished for a time, or, or, or for a season, but our souls are nourished unto eternal life. You were made for eternity. You were made for eternity. 
Right? And, and, and so while we eat and our physical bodies are sustained, eventually they break down and die and go into the grave and go into the ground. But we recognize that we have been made instead for eternity. There's a longing for that. And we know this every time we face death or the prospect of death or somebody near us dies, right? There's something that we hate about that. It's not natural. It's not right. And we'll talk more about that in the second service. And so we know that we've been made for eternity. And how then are we nourished for eternal life? Not by the things of this world and not by the things that the world has to offer. You could gain the entire world and lose your soul. Because the world does not have what your soul needs. It does not have what ultimately can give you eternal life. And again, that's what the Lord's Supper teaches us, right? It teaches us that eternal life is only found if I come to receive Jesus Christ crucified. Jesus Christ, his blood poured out for me. And if I receive him then, then I have received in him eternal life. That's what, that's what the Lord's Supper proclaims and it teaches to us. Eternal life is found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the one who then invites all to come to him, right? To come to him, to partake of him, to receive him, that that you too might have this eternal life. So though our bodies die, our souls are received by Christ. And when he returns, he will raise these bodies, sown in weakness, sown in dishonor, sown uh, broken bodies, and he will raise them imperishable. So that's the great hope that we have. We even confessed in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe that these bodies will be raised one day when Christ returns. And so again, the sacrament is given to us because it to teach us that it's only by receiving and partaking of Christ that you have eternal life. The second thing that, the, that is um, intended by the sacrament is to assure us of these things, right? We spoke about this at the opening. Right? Our faith can very easily waver. And it's very easy for us to sort of regress back to walking by sight and losing sight by faith of those unseen realities that are true in Christ. To begin to doubt various things, to doubt that, that, that my sins are forgiven. Right? When sin becomes so overwhelming of our conscience, we keep falling into it and we're overwhelmed by it. Where we, be, we begin to doubt, was Christ, have I truly received Christ? Have I, has Christ's blood truly brought about new life in me? And so the sacrament is given, as the catechism says, to assure us, to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, right? God is the one who has instituted this sacrament. He is the one who ties the bread and the wine to the body and the blood of Christ. It's not man-made, but Christ instituted this for us. And so we are assured then on the basis of God's word, his promise, that as surely as we receive the bread by faith and we receive the wine by faith, so surely have we received Christ unto eternal life. So we are assured, as it says, that all of Christ's suffering and obedience are definitely, certainly, beyond a shadow of a doubt, ours 
if we personally, as if we had personally suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. All right, so the Christian life is one that is lived by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And as we walk by faith, we walk according to the promise that God has given. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We continue down that path. And God, out of his fatherly care for us, has given us the sacrament of baptism to remind us that we have been washed. And he's given us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to remind us that we are only nourished unto eternal life by Christ himself. And so if you are seeking life in the things of this world, just to come to a conclusion here, if you're seeking your life and your satisfaction and the fullness of your soul and the things of this world, you will find, if you haven't already, that they are but broken cisterns, right? broken pots where you put water into them, but they just all just leaks out. And that, and that eternal hole in our soul can never be filled with the things of this world. But as you hear the preached word, and as you look to the Lord's Supper, be reminded and be assured that it's Christ who alone fills that gap of eternity. It's Christ alone who satisfies us. It's Christ alone who fills us. Not to pour out and just dissipate in a week or a day or a year, whatever it might be, but to fill us overflowing for eternity. That's what Christ offers And that's what we are taught in the Lord's Supper. And he can do this for us. And he alone can do this for us. Because he alone is alive forevermore. He alone has conquered sin and death. And as the one who is alive forevermore, we participate, we receive the risen Christ. And that new life that he has found and he has been given is now shared with us. A life, again, is not one that, that, that seeps away from us, but one that ever grows, one that is like an evergreen, one that is ever nourished. Even as we are the branches, he is the vine. Our life source is Christ. And that is what the Lord's Supper reminds us. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper, again, we, we, our, our gaze, our eyes, our hearts are turned away from this world and reminded of these truths and assured of these truths. Christ alone nourishes us unto eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you often stoop down to us um, out of your great love, your grace, your mercy uh, towards us. Father, we thank you that you even sent your only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And so, Father, we thank you for that message that has come to our ears And we thank you, Lord, that you have, in your fatherly care for us, uh, made that message visible, even in uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, may you teach us these truths deep in our hearts, and may you assure us of them, that we are nourished by Christ and in him unto eternal life. May that be true of us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.